The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Dear friends, we welcome you here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel this Sunday morning for our weekly service of ordered worship. We welcome you whether you are here present with us or listening live over the radio at WBUR 90.9 FM throughout New England or over internet signals at WBUR.org around the globe or if you're listening later to the podcast at bu.edu slash chapel. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel. I bear greetings also this morning on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away in these summer months. We welcome to the pulpit this morning the Reverend Dr. Stephen Cady of Asbury First United Methodist Church in Rochester, New York, for the second installment of our National Summer Preacher Series this summer on the Gospel and Emerging Adulthood. Now, as we are able, let us stand in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Dearly beloved, as we gather on this Sunday morning, we gather in the midst of a broken world, and we sing our lament for the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of our own lives, and the interrelations there among, as we sing together the historic Kyrie, the lament of the church. Dearly beloved, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ and Colossae, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up, laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word, word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives, lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. 
He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively Psalm 82 with the Antiphon.
has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the fountains of the earth are shaken. I say you are God's children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you, are, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Deo and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Glory to you, O Lord. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I bring greetings from Rochester, New York, and a thankful heart for having invited me back to this pulpit after having heard me before. So I give you thanks. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? It's hard not to admire Mr. Rogers, a champion for children's learning, a snappy cardigan wearer, a Presbyterian minister. Well, nobody's perfect. But perhaps his most lasting contribution to the world will forever be his theme song. Not because it ever hit the top of the charts or because of the brilliance of his voice. Sort of the opposite of that. You see, in 1968, when his show began, what would go on to be a 33-year run, the country was at war. Young people were disenchanted with authority, and recent victories in civil rights had been answered by the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and the flight of middle-class whites to the suburbs. In other words, at a time in which people were literally asking, who is my neighbor? And who should be in my neighborhood? Mr. Rogers found a way to invite people into his with a simple, radical, Christian request. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? It was a reminder of that gospel truth that no matter how crazy this world gets, we don't have to face it alone. And though times have changed, friends, as we know, the struggle has not. 
For as much as we talk about technology and media bringing us closer together, we still live in a world that works very hard to keep us apart. Young and old, black and white, gay and straight, male and female, rich and poor, broken and whole. We live in a world that covets community but insists on isolation, and our young people have noticed. If we're honest, we know that contemporary young people, the same young people who grew up tuning in to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood on a near daily basis, are just as disenchanted today as they were then. They're just as frustrated by the hypocrisies of the world as they were 40 years ago. And frankly, the church has not helped. Over and over again, today's young people have heard the church fail to answer that quintessential Christian question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And nowhere has this failure been felt more keenly than in our treatment of gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. Over and over again, they've heard the church exclude as opposed to include, to speak instead of listen, to choose law over love. But the good news, friends, is that we believe in a God of grace, which means that despite our imperfections, despite our failures, our fractures, our fears, there's always hope. And so today, on this day, when we consider what the gospel possibly has to say to today's emerging adults, we admit our faults, and we recommit to getting back to the basics as we hear one of these central messages of the gospel. Our lesson today is a famous one. So famous, in fact, that it has its own nickname, the gospel, the story of the Good Samaritan. It's about a lawyer who comes to Jesus with a question. Now, we don't know anything about the lawyer, actually nothing, save the fact that it was a lawyer and a he. But let's imagine for a moment that he was young, maybe just out of law school, Perhaps he was like so many of our young people today who finish their formal schooling, enter the job market, and pray that when that six-month grace period on their student loans end, he won't have to move back in with his parents. Maybe like so many young people today, he's found a job, but is still getting used to not getting summer breaks or winter breaks or breaks at all. Maybe he's been working for a year or two and starting to ask that inevitable existential question. Is this it? And in our story, he comes to Jesus with a question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a pretty honest question. How do I find life? Is this it? It's a question we all ask from time to time. And frankly, the only difference between this young lawyer and many of the emerging adults today is that he thought his religious leader might still have an answer. Fortunately for him, he was right. Jesus responds, what is written in the law? And the lawyer gives the answer he had no doubt learned in school, the one that his parents, his teachers, his synagogue had taught him. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds simply, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. You've given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. The word used for right in the Greek is orthos, from which we get the term orthodox. In other words, Jesus is saying you have given the right answer, the orthodox answer, the approved answer. And if you do this, you will live right now. In the present tense, you will live. But he no doubt understood the real question this young lawyer was asking. What does that mean? On our answer hangs every decision of life. Most of us know that we're called to love God and to love our neighbors, but if we're honest, we don't always know what that means. It's not as if in every situation there's a clear choice between loving God and not, between loving our neighbor and not a simple right or wrong. No, it's more complicated than that. It just doesn't work that way. Whether we like it or not, things aren't always black and white. There's a lot of gray in our faith, at least 50 shades of it. Sure, sometimes our choice is clear. Loving our neighbor rarely means killing them. But oftentimes, being a person of faith means struggling with confusing and often contradictory choices both of which could be justified from Scripture or tradition. Friends, sometimes being a person of faith means moving beyond Scripture and tradition in order to use that other God-given gift, our brains, a gift that too many young people have witnessed people of faith checking at the door. But perhaps Luke can help us. Perhaps Luke was offering his readers, and in turn us, a way forward, freedom from the law which threatens to shackle us, not necessarily an easier way, but certainly one that's more honest. Instead of leaving it here like the other Gospels, the lawyer in Luke's Gospel asks a follow-up question. And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? 
Was there ever a more honest question in the entire gospel? Who is my neighbor? Who are the people we're called to love? Is it the person next to me, the people on the street? Who is my neighbor? And though Luke could have answered in any number of ways, after all, there are no other gospel accounts of this story, instead of quoting more scripture or giving a map with the neighborhoods highlighted or pointing to specific people, instead of offering a black and white answer, he has Jesus tell a story that requires interpretation. A story that requires our brains. Jesus says a man was beaten and stripped by robbers and left half dead on the side of the road. An act that would have removed any means of identification, whether social or religious. When we're naked and half-dead on the side of the road, one can't tell if we're rich or poor, free or slave, Jew or Greek, gay or straight. In other words, we're just people in need. And by chance, a priest came walking by. Now, had this been our first time hearing this passage, we might think, aha, a priest, surely he will help. But when he sees the man, he passes by on the other side of the road. Then we see a Levite, another order of priestly class, and again he sees the man and passes by on the other side of the road. And while we're left scratching our heads, trying to wrap our minds around why these two religious leaders didn't stop, a Samaritan man spotted this person and was moved with pity. So he bandaged the wounds, poured oil and wine on them, placed him on his animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, we're told that he took out two denarii, each worth a day's wage, gave them to the innkeeper and told him to take care of him, and that whatever else he spent would be repaid upon his return. In other words, he didn't just stop. He stopped. He stopped. He stepped away from the busyness, from the expectations, from the routine of life in order to love. Now, we knew that was going to happen. We've heard this story before, but we should remember the shock value for Luke's original audience. You see, a Samaritan was a person hated by the Jewish people of first-century Palestine. The Samaritans were the people who had interbred with their Assyrian captors 800 years earlier and had never been allowed to forget it. It would be as if a member of Al-Qaeda was the one to stop and lend a hand when no one else had dared. So for Luke's audience and the young lawyer in our story, this would have been more than unbelievable. 
and slightly disturbing. Jesus was telling a story in which their enemy was the one to offer more care than their religious leaders. And to be fair to those religious leaders who had passed by, they had their justification. After all, they had scripture on their side. They had interpreted the canonical law correctly. Their Bible, and friends, part of ours too, says that it's sinful to come in contact with a half-dead man. Sorry to any doctors. It was sinful for them to come in contact with the man, and so they went with orthodoxy over common sense. They went with orthodoxy over mercy. They went with orthodoxy over love. And we get it. After all, we do the same thing today. We allow a couple of obscure verses of Scripture to trump our common sense. And in case there was any room for confusion in our story, Luke has Jesus say to the young lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of robbers? To which the young lawyer rightly responds, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Friends, this young man came to Jesus wanting to know the meaning of life. He wanted to know the way to fullness of life. And though he'd been trained enough to know that love is the answer, he didn't know what it looked like. So Jesus told him a story that reminded him the way to life abundant isn't about chaining ourselves to the law, to the rules that we have to follow like a map. It's about taking time to care for those around us, to stop what we're doing every once in a while in order to show mercy. It's about investing in our community, not in general, but in particular. As Howard Thurman said, we don't love in the abstract. We love in the concrete. We are called to invest in community, in one another. And when we have questions, we ought to err on the side of love. When we allow our understanding of what is right or orthodox or scriptural to get in the way of our common sense of mercy for our brothers and sisters in this world, we fail. When I was 13, my home church in Kansas hosted an AIDS conference. It was a big deal at the time, and our newly elected United Methodist Bishop came to participate in the conference and to talk with some of the youth about the challenges of AIDS. And while he was chatting with us, someone came in and whispered in his ear. And when the person left, the bishop turned to us teenagers and he said, there's a man who's on his way here. 
from Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka. You may know that church from recent years and their protests at military funerals. He said, there's a man coming and they will be on the other side of the street when we leave today, likely holding up offensive signs and condemning us. Then the bishop paused. And he said, I had two gay sons who died of AIDS. And while they were being buried, that man and his church were shouting, your sons are burning in hell. And then he said, I want you to know there's another way to be a Christian. Friends, what too many young adults today never hear is that there is another way to be a Christian. There's another way to be a Christian. And whether we realize it or not, we have an audience. There are people, young and old, who are watching us and wondering how we can proclaim the gospel of love and continue to ignore the people right in front of us. There are people in our world who are in need of our mercy, our gay and lesbian brothers and sisters among them. They're in need of our care, of our love, and the church keeps moving to the other side of the road. In this story, we hear Jesus pointing, as he does throughout his ministry, to the one who wasn't concerned with the law, but with grace. Friends, even if we have questions, we ought to err on the side of love. Perhaps the lesson of the Good Samaritan for us and for the church as a whole is that we ought to never be brought up short, to never be shown up in our love. And when we are, it's time to reevaluate our faith. And so we're left with the basic question of this series. What does the gospel have to offer today's emerging adults? The same thing it has to offer all of us. Life real life, abundant life, a life which promises that no matter how hard, how painful, how isolated things become, we are not alone. In other words, a life of love. And while it can be confusing to know how to find that life, we might do well to follow the example of Fred Rogers and begin every relationship by asking, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be? my neighbor. Amen.
You may be seated. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he advised, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So let us heed his advice and pray. You're welcome to stand, remain seated, or come forward and kneel at the altar rail. Now let us sing together, Lead Me, Lord. thanks and praise, for through your perfect love you have rescued us from darkness and enabled us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We adore you and strive to live a life worthy of your love. But we confess that we have sinned. Our hearts, souls, strength, and minds have strayed from loving you, and we have not loved others as you have taught. We ask for your forgiveness, merciful God and welcome your transforming Holy Spirit to renew a right spirit within us. Lord, we trust in you with our whole hearts and pray for your guidance. We commit ourselves acknowledging you in all that we do. We ask you to direct our paths. Abide with us, Lord, so that we may gain victory over the enemies we face daily, like envy, arrogance, and selfishness. Abide with us, Lord, so that we grow in spiritual wisdom and understand your will. Abide with us, Lord, so that we are not indifferent to those in need. Abide with us, Lord, so that the words from our mouths are words of compassion and encouragement. Abide with us, Lord, so that we give freely, forgive easily, and with boldness and courage act with love. We lift up those in need. Help us to recognize their needs and willingly use our talents to address them. We know that our help comes from you, Lord, and so we offer these prayers in the name of your beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Amen. And now, as a community of faith, we join our voices to pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel and hope you will take a moment to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can help get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We uh, note that next uh, Friday is the 4th of July and the chapel offices will be closed. We are here on Sunday morning and hope you will be as well on July 6th. On July, Sunday, July 13th, following the service will be our annual uh, Independence Day barbecue, delayed as many of our members are, uh, who are involved in that are away for the weekend of the 4th itself. We do look forward to seeing you on the 13th. We invite you to meditate on William Byrd's setting Civitas Sancti Tui as the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Merciful God, you sent your Son to teach us to love our neighbors, those whom we immediately recognize and those who we may not always see on first glance. May these gifts aid us in loving and showing mercy to all those who may need their wounds bound, their pains eased, and those who seek hope in despair. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.